Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Today and his efforts in doing that, amen, this morning. First Kings chapter number 8, I'm going to begin reading with verse, uh, verse number 14 today, amen. And these are the words of the Lord. The Bible says, and the king turned his face, the king they're speaking of is Solomon. The king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel, and all the congregation of Israel stood And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spake with his mouth unto David, my father, and hath with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house, that my name might be therein. But I chose David, to be over my people Israel. I'd like to read that verse just once more. Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be therein. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. For a little while this morning, I'd like to minister this. Perfect the man. Perfect the man. You understand that better and better as we go along this morning. Help me pray today. I feel like God has laid this on my heart this week. Amen. Help me that that the Lord would help me that I could do this adequately for us that are standing here this morning. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, today, God, that you're able to help us, oh Lord Jesus, in the next few moments of time. God, as we look at your word, as we consider your word, I pray, oh Lord, today that you're able to speak to us, God, this morning. Help me, Lord Jesus, with clarity, God, to be able to speak the word of the Lord. God, I cannot, Lord, force anything, but I'm asking God a free course if your anointing would fall in this place. God, that it would fall, Lord Jesus, upon my mind and those, Lord Jesus, that sit in the pews today. God, that we would hear, Lord, what the Spirit, God, is trying, Lord, to convey Jesus into our lives. Lord, I thank you, God. I praise you, Jesus. We need you, Lord, in this place today. We need you, Lord Jesus, in this place today. God, I'm ready, Lord Jesus, to receive, God, what you would want and have. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen and amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The lovely name of the Lord. Perfect. Perfect the man. The finishing touches were being placed here in the scripture upon the work Solomon had been involved with for the past seven years of his life. The crowning moment was about to take place, which was the transference of the Ark of the Covenant from the makeshift tent that his father David had provided for it, a little place, temporary place, if you will, they were transferring it from that place, that little tent that David had made to a more permanent position, a temple in the city of Jerusalem that Solomon had been superintending the construction of now for seven years. All the congregation, the scripture tells you and I, are present at this celebration, present at this act, 
from the heads of the tribes to the elders, from the priests to the common men, the Bible says that the congregation stood with anticipation and they stood with bated breath as they witnessed this entourage accompanying the ark's approach to the temple, its resting place. Surely there was some sense of pride. There was some sense of self-worth that must have overtaken the congregation of Israel that day with just the simple grandeur of the temple that stood before them and all of its embellishment and decoration. The Bible tells us very well it must have been a sight to behold, not one like it before and not one to come after it like it was. David had said whenever he felt the burden on his heart to prepare such a temple unto God, he said this structure that we make must be exceeding magnificent, the Bible says. And exceeding magnificent, this structure had become, and it was on this very day. The Bible describes to you and I that David had amassed all the materials for this illustrious undertaking of a temple. The materials included 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver, and from his own private fortune, David would have also given 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of high-grade silver. It was a costly building, a costly structure. 100,000 talents of gold alone by modern day standards would have been valued around $45 billion today. One million talents of silver would be estimated at today's standard around $10.8 billion today. That would mean then a just rough figure for the price tag of the wealth that was involved just in silver and gold concerning the temple of Solomon would have easily been around $56 billion by today's standards. We're talking about a very elaborate, very embellished temple, amen, that people had hands in building and, and, and crafting, amen, for this particular time. I mean, in comparison to the tabernacle that they had, uh, long ago now are the memories of the tabernacle as they stand in the shadows of this grand, beautiful, elaborate temple. There's no more the badger skins or the goat skins of the tabernacle, amen, that portable building, but now there is this, this great ornate structure, amen, whose exterior and interior is plush and polished and speaks everything of the best that there is to offer concerning wealth and what men can bring about by their hands. As a matter of fact, aside from the gold and the silver, this temple had a lot of material that was made of bronze and, and cedar woods from Lebanon and iron and precious stones. They say when you read the scripture that the holiest of holies itself was lined all around with cedar wood of Lebanon and then that cedar wood was plated with 600 talents of gold that was worth about $270 million in just today's standards and so we're talking about something very pricely and so there must have been a little bit of a sense of relief that must have settled on the crowd as the priests began to exit that new formed temple after they placed the Ark of the Covenant in that holiest of holies because the Bible says the glory of the Lord had filled the house in the form 
of a cloud into that new sanctuary, into that new temple. There must have been, Bishop, a little bit of a sense of accomplishment that fell upon the hearts and the souls of the congregation that stood there because the labors and the effort of seven years of about 180,000 workers, the Bible says, 180,000 workers involved in this great work, in this great temple. There must have been a sense of accomplishment. Men who had had their hand involved in the work. Women who had had some type of participation in the work for those seven years. They must have felt this is great, this is wonderful, but God is entering this house. The presence of the Lord is falling. I, I took my ability of being a craftsman or I took my ability of being an artisan of gold and of silver and everything imaginable and my hand has been able to bring about this excellence. My hand has been able to present this most honorable thing in the sight of the people and in sight of God. I mean some might have been thinking you know if, if men of Babel could build a tower because of secular unity then by goodness we have the people of God built a place for God in Jerusalem through and by this temple. Yes, and so from among all of this host though, here's the setting. He's coming to the temple. It's finished. It's done. It's elaborate. All the people are there. The congregation are there. They're standing there with bated breath. They're looking at what their hands have helped form and what it's present. God's presence has entered into that holiest of holies. And from all of the people here steps out among them Solomon that separates himself from the rest. And he steps forward and he underscores that the fact that they had built a place for God, that was tremendous. He honors them for their efforts. He honors them for their courage and for applying their ability and applying their talents to the purpose of making a structure, such an elaborate structure, expensive structure, seemingly a structure without flaw for the housing of God. And then he turns back toward the people. He turns back toward the masses that are standing there and he tells them on this momentous occasion on this historical occasion, he blesses the people. And I can almost see Bishop as he blesses them. There are some men that worked in the gold whose chest began to swell a little bit with pride. There's some of those 180,000 workers that are there with, with marks on their face of a little bit of arrogance as they ponder, as they help prepare the house of God. And they invested in that work and they personally made a contribution in order to have this grand temple with all of its gold, silver, and seemingly without flaws standing before them right now. Someone say amen. I can see almost understanding uh, humanity to a certain degree. Some men taking a little pride in their mind. They're starting to calculate the hours, the hours that they had worked on average per week at the temple in order to bring this grand thing about. They're thinking about how much time they invested, feeling good about that. Others were remembering some of their own ingenuity, some of their own, amen, knowing just a better way of doing something that helped bring this thing about as it was so it could even stand here today because they had a better way of doing women might have been regarding you know what they had a keen eye for perfection and they could make some suggestions to their husbands to save a little bit time here and a little time there and so they, they thought maybe my part was a major part why this thing is successful and why it is the way that it is yes. All right. 
But lest they get taken away with all that, Solomon steps forward and he blesses them. Lest they think that God would regard the place more than his people. Solomon continues after he blesses them and recalls how and what God spoke to his father, David. He says in verse 16, Solomon says, since the day that I brought forth my people out of Egypt, this is what God spoke to his father, David. It's been about 488 years since Israel had left Egypt, since they had been delivered. It's in that time that God was already speaking and said, but whenever Israel left Egypt, he says, I want you to understand something. God told my father that he chose no city. He chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house where his name was gonna be. He didn't choose a place. He didn't choose Jerusalem at that time. He didn't choose this temple being at this location, standing before you all at this time. At that time, many years ago, God had not chosen a city. But even whenever God had not chosen a city, he says God had already chosen my father. Whenever God had not chosen a place, God had already chosen a person. Before God ever chose a building, God had chosen a man. Someone say amen. The living Bible says it like this. He says, for he, God, said to him, David, he says, when I brought my people from Egypt, he said, I did not appoint a place for my temple, but I appointed a man to be my people's leader. What are you saying this morning, Brother McGee? I'm saying Solomon came and was leveling the playing field for the people right now. They were, if you will, having a little sense of accomplishment over the place, but Solomon wanted them to know that God had told David, amen, God did not appoint a place when you first left Egypt, but he appointed a man. Hallelujah, someone say amen. Just hang with me a little bit. That did not negate the fact that the temple was in the thoughts of God or that the house of God was in the will and the purpose of God. But the fact of the matter is this. Before he chose a place for the temple, he chose a person for the temple. Before he, he chose silver and gold in a building for the temple, he chose a people for the temple. What I'm trying to say today, where men are looking for a place, God is looking for a man. Some would say glory. David is the only person in the scripture that is labeled and the label is ascribed to him as a man that's after God's own heart. Solomon had told the people that it was in my dad's heart to build a house for the Lord. It was in my dad's heart to build a place. It's interesting to me that the city the place that God had in mind for his temple was first associated with a man. The city of Jerusalem all times has been called the city of David. Amen. Before he said the place, that place was already associated with a man. That place then was filtered by and characterized by a man before it ever became the place for where the temple was. It was that man, this man, that had a great, great burden for the 
the temple, a burden for the place, a burden that ministry would be done well to perfection without any flaw. The Bible says in Psalms 132 and verse 3, these are David's words. He says, surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. What are you saying, David? He said, I'm not going to my house or going to bed. Why? I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids. He says, I'm not going to allow myself to go home and I'm not going to allow myself to go to sleep until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. You know why God wasn't afraid of David's ardent affection for the house of the Lord? You know why he wasn't afraid, amen, of David's desire to see the place through? It's because David, watch me now, David wasn't going to give more attention to the place than he would his person. The Bible says this same David that is concerned for the place, concerned for perfection in ministry. Can I break it down a little bit? In church life, we're concerned that the music is just perfect. It's just right. I believe we should give our highest standard in the church that we have, the ability that we have. We should put the greatest effort, the greatest ability. If you're going to invest time, amen, in practicing other things, invest time in practicing the play. You know, in everything that you do or say. This sermon this morning didn't come about because 30 minutes I sat down and got a pen and paper and wrote it out. No, there's hours, hours, probably 10 or more hours that's into what I'm telling you right now. I believe in preparation. I believe in all of that. Amen. And David said, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not. I'm going to make sure we're going to prepare for the place. God says, that's all right. I can trust you because I know you're not going to prepare for the place any more than you prepare the man. Watch me. Because the Bible says this same David says in Psalm 73 and 2, he says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. David was a man that wasn't just concentrating on the place, but he was concentrating on the person that would visit the place. He says, I can't just spend all my time making sure the place is taken care of when the man that should go to the place is not in good order. David said in Psalms 51 and 1, he said, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. God, I'm going to make sure you got the best. I'm going to mass all the material. I'm going to give of my own fortune. Amen. For the purpose of building this grandeur house that there's been none like before or after it, but not without considering myself. I got some flaws. I got some sins. And I need you to reach down and take care of it. The Bible says in Psalms 51, the character of David was like this. He started several sentences in that chapter like this. He said, wash me, Lord. Purge me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. Restore me, Lord. Deliver me, Lord. He wasn't talking about the place at that time. He was talking about the man. He was talking about the person. Someone say amen. Amen. See, in God's economy, the place is subjective to the person. Because as good as the place may be, it does not, it will not supersede the character and the integrity of the people. Churches are made up of 
people. That place will not rise any higher than the people. Will not flow any deeper than the people. I admit to you tonight that in our years of travel, there were some churches that we went to, Brother Fred, that, man, I felt like I was entering the Temple of Solomon. I felt like they were, man, Brother Cook was so ornate. They were beautiful. I almost felt like I needed to take my shoes off at the door because of the tie, the, the tile and, and wood carvings on the wall. I'm serious. Just absolutely just out of the park. The music and the ability of playing was off the charts. Sound like they should have had their own recording studio. Some of them did. And it was just elaborate. It was everything. And it seemed like the, the punctuation was there. Every detail was cared for. They had all the right programs, all the right things that was available. Man, they had everything going on hallelujah and I've been there and I've preached my heart out and done everything and bishop you would think with every detail just right and every every punctuation just right that you could just have a move of God because every detail was looked after everything was polished everything was just set in order people arrived early stayed late and it was just what it needed to be but I've stepped into some of those pulpits and I preached my heart out and I never felt an ounce of the Holy Ghost and I never felt the anointing of the Lord and what it was was of people that had concentrated on the place, had given themselves to the place, had put in the hours and the work for the place, but they never prepared themselves. And in the same measure, Brother Hurst, I've walked into little shanties on the dead end road, had some shingles that were missing, the pews, and the carpet was a little ruffled up. The pews wasn't nothing to speak about. They couldn't hardly carry a tune in a bucket, and sometimes they hit the wrong keys as they was playing the instruments. They didn't have any or every program, but when I walked in, I could hear a people crying out to God, and what they were doing was preparing the man, because God chose a man before he chose the plate and I've walked to that place that he had the proper etiquette even to introduce an evangelist but whenever I stepped into that pulpit and I opened the word of God and I began to preach fire began to fall from heaven because somebody prepared the man Solomon's saying, wait a minute, folks. Don't you push your ears chest out. Don't you feel too accomplished about what you go have going on here. Before God ever chose his place, he chose a person. Are you saying, Brother McGee, then we need to play off key and we need to let the yard just go to pot, Brother Fred? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. You go and use your skill. You go and use your talent. You go and use your ability. But don't you dare try to do that without having God check you out, without you preparing the man, without you preparing the person. Because it doesn't matter how much we decorate it up or have the appearance it's all together. If the man is decrepit, if the man is out of alignment, it will go no further further than the people that make up the place. The place was in the heart of the man. When God chose the man, indirectly he chose the place. Huh. 
Nehemiah. Nehemiah receives a word. That the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Receives a word from Hananiah that the gates are burned with fire. Says it's the place, my father's sepulchres. I'm hearing that the place is in disrepair. The beloved Jerusalem was just at this time a shell of its former glory. The place, oh, the heartache, oh, the despair to see the place in the shape that it is in. Listen to this pastor today. Before Nehemiah talked to the king, the earthly king, about the place, he had an extensive talk with the king of kings about the man. Hear me right now. The Bible tells us that it was about four months that Nehemiah was mourning. About four months. Read the scripture of Nehemiah 1 and 2. That Nehemiah was praying. Four months that Nehemiah was fasting. And it's in that prayer that he would pray, God, we have sinned against thee. Oh God, we've not kept your commandments or your statutes or your judgments. Oh God, grant us, grant me, oh God, the mercy that I need. And only after he said all that, only after he prayed all that, only after he looked at himself in the mirror did he go to the king and say, now I'd like to do something about the place. Why? He understood before God chooses a place, he chooses men, he chooses women, he chooses a person, and God would like the person in right repair in order for them to do anything for the place of God. Consider, he gave four months to the man, and within 52 days, the walls were built. I can't say what would have happened contrary to that, but I can give you my opinion that if he had spent less time on the man, it had taken a whole lot longer at the place. And even if she got finished, she would not have been what she needed to be if the people that would inhabit those city walls and those gates had not been in alignment. In other words, he spent more time on the man than he did the place. And I'm coming to the house of the Lord. I'm going to worship. We do about... Oh, 30 minutes of worship on average, about every service. That's great. That's doing something for the place. That's offering up something in the place. But what we offer up many times is regulated by the character of the man. I'm investing 30 minutes of worship in the place. But have I done anything prior to that? To help the integrity of the man that's going to do the 30 minutes of worship. Because God chose the man before he did the place. Someone say glory. Listen to me. Why are you preaching to us? I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching for us. 
all. Listen to me here for a moment. Several weeks ago, it's may even been months ago now. Several weeks ago. Let me tell you, if you've heard me ever say it, I'm a person of preparation. I'm a person of preparation. I'm going to prepare. Honey, if there's stuff to be read on, I'm going to read everything I can get my hands on. Yeah. Person of preparation. When it concerns what I'm going to bring here on Sunday morning or Sunday night, or I'm a person of preparation. Person of preparation. Anybody that knows me, know me any degree. I'm a person of preparation. This is my life. This is what I do. Do it. Amen. With everything I have within me, all my faculties, every, every resource that I have is going to be poured into whatever I bring. Amen. To this place. Several weeks ago, now probably, as I said, probably several months ago now, amen, I was praying and I was studying at the house just for a little change of venue. The kids were at school. Don was working, I believe, at the school that day. So I stayed home with Rascal. You know, and I'm preparing and I'm studying at the house. And so I, I, I studied and I prayed and stuff there for a little spell of time. And there was another service just around the corner because that's the way it always is. As soon as we finish up here, there's another service. As soon as we finish up tonight, there's another service. There's always another service around the corner. Always another time and means of preparation and hours and study and so what to invest. And so there was another one just around the corner. And Brother Fred, I was fixing to leave the house. And, and I put out my hand and I touched the doorknob on the front door of my home and I heard God speak to me in the way that God speaks to me it was not an audible voice but many God just speaks to me words and things in my mind no audible voice but I heard God speak to me just these few little words as I was getting ready to leave the house and he said this he said if you will perfect the man more than you attempt to perfect the message the message will take care of itself And I feel sure that if God spoke to me as a leader of this congregation, it's not something he wanted to just stay bound up in my spirit, but he wanted to burst forth to everybody that I pastor. That if you'll prepare yourself and you'll prepare your person and you'll prepare the man more than we do our time of worship in here or even the things that we perform around here, teacher, outreach, whatever it is that we do, if we'll perform, if we'll prepare the men and the women more than the service that we do, the service will take care of itself. We can still be skilled. We can still have ability. We can still put our all in it. But don't you put more in that than you do yourself before God. Amen. So perfect, perfect the man. Perfect the man. Why, why in the world would God say something like that? Tell you, Brother McGee, if you throw all these hours and you study in the preparation for the sermon, why in the world would God, why in the world would God say something like that to you? I'll tell you why. Because as a pastor, each sermon contains a whole lot of who I am when it comes from me out here. Messages, ministry at any level, service at any level is flavored and influenced by the lifestyles and the personal standing of those that are doing the ministry. Have the most pure water. Have the most pure water flow through a contaminated vessel. And you got contaminated water. Let the most pure thing flow through hands of humanity that's gone unchecked, unpurified, unscrutinized by God. And that which comes out on the other side 
is defiled. That which comes out on the other side is less than that which went in. And so we can come in with our worship and we can be given it our best hand clap and our highest hand raise. But if the vessel is impure, the worship is going to be flavored by the vessel. Thank God for all the ability up here on this keyboard. That's great. Brother Mason, I'd put him up against anybody. He is absolutely talented. He is absolutely skilled. But that does not mark any on the high water mark of God. If he comes up here with sin in his heart, if he comes up here without a prayer life, if he comes up here without sacrificing some meals, it taints all the beautiful music and the possibility of what it could accomplish on the lives that are in the pew. Because God chose the man before he chose the place. You can't separate the man from the message. I tell people, I mentor if there is anyone. But people that may rub shoulders with me that's up and coming in the ranks of preaching ministry. Young men that somehow just have an eye of longing at me for whatever reason. And I try to give them any words of encouragement. And as a side note, I just realized last night, I began to count. This, is year, I, this year, God has blessed me with 25 years of ministry this year. Unbelievable. And so let me tell you, there's been times I've done more perfecting of message than I have the man. In 25 years... There's been times I've had the most elegant, versed, intelligent, oritated preaching. But it was void of anointing and power. Because the man went unchecked. What? Yeah. And we do it in other venues of our lives as well. But I tell any man that Scribing the ministry, I'll tell them this. I'll use First uh, Thessalonians two eight. I say, man, I said the Bible says Paul said so. T- speaking to the, the the church at Thessalonica, he said, being affectionately desirous of you, he said we were willing to have imparted unto you. He said, look now, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. You know what Paul was saying. When we came and ministered to Thessalonica, we parted unto you not just the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, but as we preached a portion of who we are. A portion of who we are accompanied that message. You know what Paul was saying? That's the reason why it's important that I die daily. That's why it's important I keep the man under subjection. Because every time I minister the gospel, it's not just the gospel going forth. It is a portion and a flavor of who I am that goes with that. And whenever we enter into this place, and we enter into this house, and we do ministry, and we do outreach, and we do all these other things of worship, whenever we do, it's not just the worship that's going forth. It's a measure of ourselves that is accompanying that worship. And if the man's been left unchecked, then we're offering something defiled and repute. Yeah. Before the sight of God. Hallelujah. And so it bears the reason that anything that we have in hand in the kingdom of God, whether it be ministry or worship, teacher, musician, whatever you want to label it, it is either clean or contaminated by our lives. And it seems like in Kings, God puts emphasis on the person, the people, the man. Moses spends 40 days 
40 nights on Mount Sinai. And whenever he descends from that quaking, smoke-filled mount, he will have both the tablets of stone and the instructions for the pattern of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Yet if you read the book of Exodus, the way in which things are conveyed, it appears in Scripture as though God gave the commandments before he gave the instruction for the pattern of the tabernacle. Because Moses, when you go down, I want you to emphasize the perfecting of the people before you do the perfecting of the place. (laughs) When Satan came before the sons of God in the book of Job, And God asked him, where have you been? He said, I've been to and fro, up and down in the earth. God didn't at that point in time say, have you considered the temple? Have you considered the tabernacle? Have you considered the sanctuary? Have you considered that place? Our mission, no. But whenever Satan came saying that, God said, have you considered the man? Have you considered the person? Job, he's upright and perfect. Right. Right. Yes, sir. That's exactly what he said. Someone say amen. amen. Perfect, perfect the man. You can read the story. You can read the story. Holy Ghost, help me. In Acts chapter number eight, great revival is taking place in Samaria. People receiving the Holy Ghost on the left hand and on the right hand. Even sorcerers, Simon of one by name, has even been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see, I believe it is, that Peter has come down and John has come down. They're laying hands on several that's been baptized and they're receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're beginning to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And the Bible says in Acts 8 and verse number 17, Brother Zach, you don't have it, just fly with me. The Bible says, Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon, who was the sorcerer that had been baptized and evidently repented, saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. I think Simon's intent was really pure. He wanted to see the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost fall on people. But Peter noted something in those words that was unchecked. Simon wanted to see the kingdom go on. He wanted people to experience what he experienced. But Peter told him, Simon, you have no lot or part in this matter because your heart is not right. What are you saying, Peter? He's saying you cannot go about and doing the duty of the place when you've not done the duty for the man. Yes, sir. Just been baptized, but he still need to do the duty of the man. says who will ascend until the heel of the Lord he's talking about who's going to go to Jerusalem he's talking about who's going to go to the temple he's talking about who's going to go to the house of God for what purpose 
for sacrifice. For what purpose? For their lambs and their bulls and their goats. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? He says, I'll tell you who. It doesn't matter if they have the best ram. It doesn't matter if they meet all the qualifications of the criteria of the sacrifice. It doesn't matter if what they have in their hand is seemingly spotless and without blame. But if that which is spotless is being carried by the spotted. He says it doesn't matter if they've met the criteria there. He says, what about the man? He says, I'll tell you who will ascend into the hill of the Lord. He that hath clean hands and a clean heart. He didn't say anything about their sacrifice. He didn't give a list of how the sacrifice needed to be. He gave every, every, every reasoning about the man that was carrying the sacrifice. What he needed to be, clean hands, pure heart. Perfect the man and you'll ascend and you'll be profitable while you're there. Because even the Old Testament regulated that when you go to the Lord and you sacrifice, he said, let your sacrifices be from your herd and from your flock. That's what he said. So you let it be from your herd and your flock, not from another's. Not for purchasing from your herd and your flock. Why? Because then what you brought was a testament of the life and environment that it lived. If you brought in some emaciated calf, it's going to say somebody, somebody kind of skipped some feeding duty a few days around your house. It was a testimony of your life. He said, you bring your sacrifice. He says, and when you bring your sacrifice, I'm going to know about your life based upon your sacrifice. Because your sacrifice is greatly tied to your life. That's the reason why we put the emphasis on the man more than the sacrifice. Because if the man will live right, if the man will have the proper environment, the sacrifices that he bring will reflect the life of the man. So perfect the man. Perfect the man. Perfect the man. So Solomon tells these to the people. They have their seven years investment. They have their 180,000 workers, artisans, people that are crafters, gold, metal, wood. Laid that, laid that. Done this. See that wall? I helped erect that. You know how it is, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of some investment. He says, boys, don't get too cocky. How's your personal life doing? Because that's what God chose above this. That's what God endorsed above this. How are y'all doing? Yeah, I know you've been busy about the work, but how's the worker You know what Solomon said just a few verses down there in 1 Kings 8? He's crying out to God, saying, God, you, you fulfilled the promise through my hand, the promise that you gave through to my father David. You fulfilled it through my hand. Thank you, Lord. Appreciate it, Lord. God, you fulfilled the promise. God, I, I, I'm anticipating and expecting that you're going to continue to fulfill the promise because you said that you would not have 
you would not have any other member of any other tribe to assume the throne of kingship except through the lineage of David, my father. So God, we, my dad served well on the throne. He's done real well with his time on the throne. I'm on the throne right now, and I am doing a good job, God. And so go on and fulfill your promise with the legacies and the generations after me. Do it, God. You know what God's word was to him? So I understand David was a man after my own heart. I know you've moved into his row and his capacity, and it seems like you're doing really good. He says, but it's only going to continue if the ones that come after you do all according to my heart, and they keep my commandments, and they keep my statutes, and they keep my judgments. He said in verse number 25, look now, he says, Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, here Solomon, keep with thy servant David my father, that thou promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel. Look now, so that thy children, here's what God said, so your children must take heed to their way. And they walk before me as thou hast walked before me. He said, you know what it is? He said, it doesn't matter how good you take care of judgment from the throne, of handling situations from the throne. Oh, it doesn't matter how well it seems that you're a flawless person for the throne. If you've not checked yourself, the throne is always going to be in the distance for your children the next generation because I always underscore the man more than the position, the man more than the place, the man more than the work. It's always been that way, folks. If you don't think God has inscribed that upon the heart of the Bible, let me tell you this, and I'm closing. We gravitate and rally around the place or the fact of a Golgotha, a Calvary. Let me tell you this. It could have been Mount Calvary or it could have been the Valley of Hinnonim. It could have been Mount Gilgal or it could have even been Mount Sinai. It could have been over here or it could have been over there. The place was not as important as the man. In the Old Testament, he said, I chose the man before I chose the place. In the New Testament, God sent a man. Whether it was Calvary, it had been Calvary. Whether it was here, it had been here over there. What was important was the man that was in all ways like you and I, yet without sin. He underscored the man. It just so happened at Calvary. It so happened at Golgotha. It so much incorporated a tree. But the emphasis was on the person. Because had the place been just right and the cross just right and all of the rivalry around there and the crowd just right and the man not right, Calvary wouldn't have had the impact. Calvary wouldn't have had the impact it had today. And nor will the church in this hour have the impact she needs to have. If the workers... If the workers are not concentrated on more so than the work. Because the work flows and is flavored and influenced by the workers of the work.
you'll stand with me this morning. Perfect, perfect the man. Now, Psalm, we got, I mean, modern day standard. Psalm, we got us a 56, 56 million dollar building here. Billion dollar building here. This is fantabulous. It might as well be a shanty somewhere on the corner of nowhere if the people are not of any character. They maybe thought the worth was due to the gold and the silver. God says, I value the worth according to the men and the women and the children. The man, the men, the people. We can bow our heads here today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.